Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So today is June 28th, 2019. There have been a lot of developments, a lot that we can talk about. I am definitely going to talk about the Democratic debate that I watched from start to finish, and I couldn't help but live tweet. We're going to talk about... The G20 summit, of course, uh, what is said, what is not being said, and also touch base on something people haven't really noticed, and that's justice and canons. We're going to talk about that a little bit, and I'm very glad that, you know, we're all afforded multiple avenues to put out information. So, As always, I'm here Monday through Friday, 12 to 2, and today is Friday. The developments are insane. And more so, tomorrow we're going to be having more from the G20 Summit, the super important meetings from the G20 Summit. So where will we start? I'm thinking the best place to start is with the G20 Summit. Because this will give us the real, the real news that is going on, aside from the debates. Uh, I'm going to play you clip, a uh, short clip, where President Putin and President Trump uh, together sat and talked. I'm also going to play a clip from the Indian, um, you know, where we sat down with India. I'll tell you what, Mondi is like the Indian Obama. He is the worst there is. And as you know, India just raised their tariffs on American goods. So we have a lot to talk about. And I direct you to YouTube to go to the White House uh, YouTube page. You will see that it says it's 13 minutes long when it's not. I'm going to play it for you um, right here, uh, what President Trump said. And what you'll notice is, is that the video is longer than the audio and the video is in slow motion. And when you watch things in slow motion, it tells you a lot more than the words coming out of their mouth. Uh, also, I wanted to play a clip from the trilateral meeting. So this is where Japan is the buffer between the US and India, the buffer, hence the trilateral meeting. And then the meeting our president had with Merkel. And if you remember, uh, the leaders coming into the G20 summit all had issues. Our Air Force One twin unexpectedly um, took an emergency landing at McCord Base in Washington State. Bolsonaro, he had one of his guys transport almost 40 kilos of cocaine. That must have been some crazy after party, right? Um, 
And Merkel obviously had another shaking spell. Uh, you can see if you watch the videos how Merkel was um, holding herself together literally with her hands and the tone of the conversation. So I'm going to start with Germany because here we hear President Trump chiming in on the debates uh, and that was pretty interesting to listen to too. So take a listen to what our president has to say with Germany. Great friend of mine, and uh, we've had a uh, terrific relationship. Uh, the the uh, trade between Germany and the United States, I think, has uh, reached a uh, pretty much a high level. We'll see if we can do even better, but it's reached a level that it's never reached before. And uh, we have many things to talk about, and we have a long meeting schedule. And uh, we'll be spending some time later on together also. But I just want to say she's a fantastic person, a fantastic woman, and I'm glad to have her as a friend. And thank you very much, Angela. Thank you. Ja, danke schön. Ich freue mich auf das Gespräch, weil wir eine Menge Dinge zu besprechen haben. Besonders herauszuheben ist, dass die deutsche Wirtschaft sehr stark auch in den Vereinigten Staaten von Amerika investiert. Wir haben nicht nur Handel, sondern auch sehr viele Investments. Und wir werden uns natürlich auch über die internationale Lage austauschen, insbesondere auch das, was wir in Westafrika machen, die Kampf gegen den Terrorismus, aber auch das Thema Iran. Ich freue mich auf das Gespräch. Thank you. Thank you very much. I very much look forward to our exchange today. Uh, we have a lot on our agenda, especially the fact that uh, German investment in the United States is uh, very important, not only bilateral trade is important, but also Germany com German companies are investing a lot in the United States of America. We're going to talk about international issues, the developments on the international front too, especially about what has been happening in West Africa. We will be also talking about counter-terrorism, and um, I very much look forward to that exchange. Of course, Iran will also be on our agenda today. I just uh, passed the television set on the way here, and I saw that uh, health care and maximum health care was given to 100% uh, of the illegal immigrants coming into our country by the Democrats. And unfortunately, they uh, didn't discuss what they're giving to American citizens. Uh, that's not a good thing. So we just passed that, and then I came here. And I will say that uh, we're going to have a very interesting time today. You know, they have a debate going on. They had the first debate last night. Perhaps you saw it. It wasn't very exciting, I can tell you that. And they have another one going on today. They definitely have plenty of candidates. That's about it. So uh, I look forward to spending time with you rather than watching the debate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, hot mic, right? That's what they say, huh? So, they didn't answer any questions from the press. His body language said it all. All they were interested in is finding out how Merkel's doing. She looks like she's popped a, an extra Xanax or two to be relaxed. And uh, the president pretty much summed up what the Democratic debates were about. They were 
advocating and talking about what they're going to be doing for non-American citizens as opposed to the actual people that are voting for them. So that was interesting to see. Uh, in addition, I'm going to start right now to play the trilateral, trilateral again. Uh, the buffer is Abe, right? Um, between Trump, Mondi, and Abe. Take a listen to this. It is indeed a great pleasure that I am able to uh, convene this uh, summit meeting of three countries, Japan, U.S., India, three countries. I think uh, we three countries are the foundation of the peace and the prosperity of the region. Free and open Indo-Pacific is something that we would like to strive toward, and I'd like to uh, have closer coordination amongst three countries going forward. Donald and um, Prime Minister Modi, I thank you for your cooperation to enable this summit meeting. Now, please, Donald. Well, it's a great honor to be here, and with my two very good friends, we've gotten to know each other very well over the last short period of time, and you and I are going to be meeting separately after this meeting. Yeah. But Prime Minister Modi, thank you very much, and congratulations on your great victory. I should say congratulations, really, to both, because Shinzo also had a great victory, a great electoral victory. So congratulations uh, to both of you on the tremendous numbers, tremendous success, and tremendous popularity. Uh, you're doing a great job for your countries, and I'll see you in a little while. I look forward to it. Thank you very much, Prime Minister Modi. I won victory in the presidential election of LDP, and uh, um, Prime Minister Modi. I'm very grateful to you uh, that you have uh, congratulated me for my victory in the elections. Japan, America, and India. Jai, J-A-I. Jai in, in, in Hindi means victory. We are three countries that uh, support uh, democracy. And we met last time in Argentina, and we had the opportunity to meet once again. Uh, this uh, new forum, uh, this forum of ours has received a new impetus, and uh, there is a new uh, faith and confidence in our relations, and I'm sure that we'll have meaningful discussions during our meeting. We have common interests in the area of uh, Indo-Pacific. Uh, we would like uh, peace and uh, stability in this region. We are committed to democracy, and therefore we would like a peaceful development uh, and uh, security in this uh, region. America's dream has been to make America great again. And in Japan, they have uh, worked on the basis of abenomics to take Japan to new heights. And uh, India has called for collective efforts, inclusive growth with the trust of all and make in India. All our three countries have contributed in some way to the journey towards development in the world. I'm very grateful to you for hosting this meeting. Thank you very much. 
So that was the end of the trilateral introduction. Now, it speaks volumes when there's a trilateral meeting uh, between three leaders. And there was a picture that they took. And rather than have a three-way handshake, which is a traditional, they fist bumped, um, which was interesting. Now, in regards to India, India is a big problem as they take on a more socialist uh, approach to their country. And they have been extremely hurt by the new implementations of uh, bringing back uh, manufacturing and jobs to the United States, which many of you know, a lot of our jobs have been sourced out to India, right? How many times have you called your bank's customer service and you're speaking to someone in, uh, you know, New Delhi or Bangladesh? That is dwindling down now with the new regulations and with the increased tax of outsourcing uh, that has been done. You know, why not give Americans the jobs instead? So there's a, there are a lot of stressors between the two countries. Uh, Mondi's uh, position in regards to the way he's sitting, the way he's responding is very indicative of that. And again, now I'm going to play the clip right before the one-to-one meeting President Trump and Mondi had. And I urge you to go to YouTube and watch the White House video that was videotaped in slow motion. We're going to hear the audio, but the slow motion is what speaks volumes. This is post-trilateral meeting. एक विशाल लोकतंत्र और बहुत बड़े भारी बहुमत के भारतीय जनता ने हमें मैंडेट दिया है स्टेबल गवर्नमेंट के लिए मतदान किया है और उसके तुरंत बाद आपने टेलीफोन कर करके बधाई दी इतना ही नहीं कल सेक्रेटरी पॉम्पियो खुद आपका एक बहुत ही बॉम्ब चिट्ठी लेकर इंटिल वी गेट द इंटरप्रिटेशन आई कैन टेल यू हिज फेस इज फुल ऑफ स्ट्रेस it's in slow motion. He's pursing his lips. He's swallowing. He's not very comfortable. Uh, Mr. President, at the beginning of my uh, second term, I'm really very happy to have this opportunity uh, to meet you. I would also like to uh, express my gratitude after the huge democracy in India. Uh, the man, the people of India gave us this uh, huge victory, this landslide victory. The people of India have reposed, uh, have given me a second mandate. And uh, immediately uh, afterwards, after uh, the victory in the elections, uh, you uh, called me over the telephone and congratulated me. And two days ago, uh, Secretary of State Pompeo uh, carried a letter from you, which was a very warm letter. 
uh, also it expressed uh, the kind of sentiments that you have towards India, your love towards India, you expressed those issues. Once again, uh, Mr. President, let me thank you. Uh, Secretary uh, Pompeo visited India two days ago. We had an opportunity to have discussions on many issues. Uh, also, uh, he carried, as I said uh, a short while ago, your warm message. Given that we have uh, a time limitation, uh, in this meeting we would like to uh, discuss four issues, Iran, 5G, uh, bilateral relations and defense relations. Uh, the India-US uh, relations, uh, we have a vision which is far-sighted and positive, and uh, India is committed uh, to taking forward these relations within this uh, far-sighted and positive vision. We will continuously strive to do so. Once again, uh, let me thank you, Mr. President, for having taken our time to meet me. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Prime Minister. We've become uh, great friends, and our countries have never been closer. I can say that with surety. And we work together in many ways, including military. But we certainly work together on trade, and we'll be discussing trade today. Uh, you did indeed have a landslide election. That was a great election, 72 percent, as I understand it. And that in uh, the United States would be called a very big victory. And uh, you deserve it. You've done a great job pulling everybody together. You had many factions. I remember when you first took over, uh, we were talking, and you had many factions, and they were fighting with each other, and now they all get along. You just You've really brought it together, and I think it's a fantastic tribute to you and your abilities. Uh, thank you very much for uh, the relationship and the friendship, and I think we're going to have a, uh, some very big things to announce, very big trade deals. We're doing some very big things with India in terms of trade, in terms of manufacturing, in terms of uh, we will be discussing 5G, it's a big subject nowadays, uh, and other things having to do with uh, like manner. So. Uh, there's been a lot of fun being with you. We've had some good talks already. And again, I think you'll be hearing some very productive elements come out. We had a, a joint meeting with, as you know, uh, as the press was there, we had uh, a very successful meeting with Prime Minister Abi. And we also are going to be announcing some very big trade transactions, some very big trade deals. They're, many, they're moving many plants auto plants into the United States. And uh, they announced some more this morning, and we're very happy about that. So again, I want to thank you, and I want to congratulate you, and I look forward to talking. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thank, thank you. you very much. Mr. President, what is the most important thing for India to do on trade? I think we just uh, will continue to get along with India. India is doing very well as a country. We're doing very well as a country. We have uh, picked up, as you know, many trillions of dollars in worth and value of the United States. And uh, I think we're considered right now, we're discussing it with Prime Minister Modi, the hottest, we're the hottest country in the world, the United States right now, and everybody wants a part of it. A big factor and a big relationship is that of India. And uh, so we're going to be discussing many things, uh, all, pro all very positive. I think. I think you will see and you will hear it's all very positive. The relationship with India, as I said, is I don't believe ever been better than it is right now. What's your message on Huawei, sir? Well, it's something we're going to be talking about. We uh, understand the subject very well. We actually sell Huawei many of its parts. A lot of people don't know that, but the United States sells. We have great companies that are uh, the leaders of a lot of what Huawei does. and. Uh, 
we sell them a lot. So we're going to be discussing that and also how India fits in. We'll be discussing Huawei. Mr. President, what will be your message on Iran? On who? On Iran. Well, it's the same message I've been telling you for the last three days. It's, uh, we have a lot of time. There's no rush. They can take their time. Uh, there's absolutely no time pressure. Um, I think that uh, in the end, hopefully, it's going to work out. If it does, great. And if it doesn't, you'll be hearing about it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so the video is just ended the audio on the six minute mark on the White House uh, YouTube page, but it's still continuing. I urge you once again to watch the slow motion that they recorded it on, even though the audio is not in sync with their body. It will tell you so much. The relations between India and the United States are finally in a fair bulk, you know, it's level. And like um, Mondi said, you know, he had already prior to this meeting, prior to the trilateral buffer meeting that Abe kind of uh, buffered with them before they sat down to talk between themselves, uh, had met with uh, Indian, um, you know, um, delegations and Mahdi himself. And, you know, this is the way President Trump works. He doesn't just go in there blind. He says he sends his own people, tells them what he wants. And then he has the meetings. And as we realized, you know, right before the G20 summit, India announced that they're going to be increasing the tariffs. So obviously, uh, India is feeling the stress. You can see it on Mahdi's face. He's like clenching onto his cards, bending them, uh, clenching his jaw, because we've got him right where we have to. And so now I'm going to move on to Russia. Very short clips, but it's very interesting because you're going to hear, um, you know, how they sat down and met and how President Trump mocked the media where they were like, are you going to tell him and don't mess with the election? He's like, hey, you know, don't mess with our election. Don't meddle, please. You know, it was so hilarious just to troll them. But right after that, I want you to listen to what uh, the um, finance minister, uh, uh, Silyanov, had to say about the United States and trade, which is key. So uh, this is where you need to be paying attention uh, to what leaders are saying. Remember, I've always said that. Don't listen to what the media tells you. Don't listen uh, you know, to what even I tell you. Listen to what makes sense to you and listen to what the leaders are saying. Not so much with their mouth, but with their optics too. Another thing I wanted to mention is, is if you noticed uh, the class picture, we're going to be talking about that. The G20 class picture, very important positioning, uh, you know, who met who and who was friendly with who, uh, very important because these are significant. You might not think that, but it is. And one thing that stood out, well, two things actually that stood out is that President Trump wore pink. He wore a pink tie and Putin wore a burgundy purplish pink tie while everyone else was either donning a black, blue, red, and there was a gold one too in there. Means a lot. So we'll get to that. Let's just take a listen quickly to what Putin and President Trump had to say. Uh, his representatives, my representatives, we have many things to discuss, including trade and including uh, some disarmament, some uh, uh, little protectionism, perhaps, in a very positive way, and we're going to discuss a lot of different things. Uh, we've had great meetings, we've had a very, very good relationship, 
and we look forward to spending some very good time together. A lot of very positive things going to come out of the relationship. So, Vladimir, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, the clip is missing, but it's uh, around there on Twitter. I'll find it during the break so I could play it to you where he mocked the media. Now, what's important to understand is what Russia is saying. Listen. Under the pretext of national security, countries simply ignore the WTO. There is, in fact, a provision that if a country feels there is a national security threat, it can choose to stray from the WTO principles. Now, some countries are taking advantage of that. The US, for example, sees all these regulations mainly as a national security threat. When the WTO was founded, the spirit and the environment were different. Today, everyone is leaning towards protectionism, safeguarding their own interests. It may start with one country, and then you'll have a group of countries or an alliance. It could be just one country with a large market that would say, well, if these states are pursuing an isolationist policy, so will I and so on. It's not good for the global economy. Ah, so Russia is expressing that they have stress now that we are looking after America first interests too. Uh, so I have to say body language, Putin and Trump look like, you know, they were bros. And I love that. Uh, I will break down uh, the, you know, summit on how they introduced each other and the class picture just after this break, where we'll talk about what is to come tomorrow, because the most explosive discussions are happening tomorrow. I'll see you all in just a bit. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978-855-700-2978-855-700-2978. That's 855-700-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. 
If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So talking about the G20 Summit. Now, guys, it was incredible uh, to watch. I stayed up at night uh, to speak with sources that I have on the ground. The uh, foreign media's heads are exploding more so on the positioning of the class picture and the fact that uh, the mainstream media has chosen uh, the most odd non I would say non-collected picture of, um, you know, President Trump and Crown Prince, um, uh, you know, of Saudi Arabia shaking hands while everyone else is waving and they chose that as opposed to anything else. Uh, so that was uh, pretty incredible to watch. ABC News was freaking out completely uh, because when President Trump entered, you know, the area to, uh, you know, take this class picture he was walking side by side and having you know side commentary with Putin I'm going to play the video and I'm going to tell you what people aren't realizing I'll retweet the tweet so you guys can see it so South Korea comes up to meet President Trump they reach out to see him. He's looking for his spot of where he's supposed to stand. He's obviously not by South Korea and Russia. Abe points him to stand in front of fired May, who's there. They stick him standing next to Erdogan of Turkey. And apparently, um, you know, as he's meeting with um, the Australian PM, you know, uh, the Saudi crown prince comes next to him and he's positioned there. President Xi comes to greet him and walks away, greets no one else but President Trump. Uh, President Trump and the crown prince are having some sidebar. They're laughing. Theresa May looks really awkward. Mondi's also behind them. And MBS and Trump look like they're having a good time. 
Erdogan, on the other hand, is uh, standing to the right of our president trying to get his attention. And the president is completely ignoring him, completely ignoring him. And um, what was hilarious is, is that uh, during, uh, you know, the whole you know let's meet and greet and let's take pictures people were posing um the president was posing you can hear the flashes going he's giving that really stoic look the stern look he's obviously sucking on candy or something too because uh, you could see him chewing it and there he is talking again with um saudi arabia and everyone else is waving while saudi arabia and the united states are shaking hands uh, it is important to note that um, he actually swatted someone's hand away as uh, they reached out to shake. Uh, that was incredibly funny to watch. Um, I, I found that hilarious. South Africa is there too. South Africa is being courted by the IMF Lagarde. And Erdogan seems to be following the president of the United States and the president of the United States obviously um, is ignoring him. So if you're following me on Twitter, I just tweeted out that specific video for you guys to watch uh, and see it. It was uh, pretty incredible. And what's incredible is, is that Erdogan, and I'm going to retweet this, during the time, you know, where I was telling you, you know, he was finding his position and he found his spot because Abe pointed it out. He saw that he was positioned next to uh, Erdogan. Erdogan actually reached out his hand to shake it and President Trump swatted him like, yeah, whatever. And he turned his back. That speaks volumes. See, these are the things people should be paying attention to because this is where they know all eyes are on them. And no one, you know, in the US media has pointed it out. The only thing is their heads are exploding because President Trump said whatever me and Putin talk about is none of your business. They see them having really good conversations and they also see that the leaders of BRICS are all over President Trump. Now, I tweeted out a picture uh, last night um, indicating who BRICS is. I am retweeting that once again right now so you can see it, where it is China, um, Russia, Brazil, India, and South Africa. Now, remember, every single member of BRICS appreciates President Trump and what he is doing in regards to creating a, a, a different economic um environment, a global economy that is more competitive and allows for different subsections or groups of people or independent uh, nations to compete, except for India. Now, South Africa is kind of on the fence. Uh, another thing you should note is, you know, Christine Lagarde, I've told you guys about this before in the past, talked about it during the Argentinian summit too. She is everywhere. And if you remember during the, um, the G7 summit in Canada, it was explosive because she leads the pack and she is the boss of the IMF. And again, the IMF is the International Monetary Fund. They literally trade in debt. Their job is to create debt and to trade debt. And she is the biggest bully there is. I urge you to look up the Lagarde list when uh, the European Union was possibly not going to be going forward. Uh, the nations at the time did not want to become states, did not want to forfeit their sovereign rights. 
she was able to source something called the Lagarde list, which was every single piece of dirty laundry you could find on politicians throughout Europe. And this was by stealing records, or she said she accidentally found them when she was prime minister. She was the finance minister in France, right? Of uh, you know, banking uh, records, deposit records, savings records of a Swiss bank of all these politicians that forced them to resign, be held accountable. She blackmailed countries into agreeing to commit to the U- the European um, Economic Council. This is how she operates. Let's not forget that. And she is everywhere. She is scary. She looks like a bird. I don't even think she's human the way she is. And she tweeted out a picture where she's um, standing in front of President Trump and meeting. And it was very, uh, you know, she, she was uh, by on his side. And they were all laughing. Um, and May was there, who we all know is fired, yet she's there. And she's tweeting out saying, I appreciate the opportunity to meet with world leaders at the G20 Osaka Summit and discuss how we can work together to generate more jobs and inclusive growth for the global economy. That is not her point. She does not make money if there are more jobs and there's an inclusive economy. There is no point for that. She doesn't like that because this doesn't create debt. And if there is no debt, then the IMF trades nothing. Their currency, they operate on their own currency, the IMF. And that currency, the XDR, is literally the debt of nations, okay? So that is uh, that on that side of the G20 summit. Now, we are awaiting huge meetings that are coming around. Uh, you know, basically right now, people are expecting a lot from the Turkish and U.S. meeting. And, uh, you know, President Trump, uh, you know, his acting um, Secretary of Defense, who was a former Secretary of the U.S. Army, made it clear that we are not backing down and they will not be getting, uh, you know, the F-35, something that Erdogan, for whatever reason, says, well, then, you know, they're going to do it. We're going to get our way kind of thing. He's also insistent that the president will be coming to see him, uh, which is insane uh, because he just swatted him in front of every single reporter when he reached out his hand to shake it. So uh, this this meeting is being held tomorrow and it's um, a really big deal. And, uh, you know, the world is on edge waiting for that and to see what comes out of, you know, what will be announced by China and the U.S. after their meetings. So the, the issue that... Um, Erdogan has with the president is not only the fact that, um, you know, they, they're, they're having issues with the F-35 S-400, right? It's the control zone. So I've told you before that Turkey has expanded their green zone. And uh, today it was announced that a big stronghold that was on the northeastern part of Syria was actually taken out. And that northeastern part of Syria actually has uh, ISIS or terrorists, let's just say better, terrorist groups that are funded by uh, Turkey. So, you know, a lot of uh, there's a a tweet that was DM'd to me by someone uh, speaking about this where um, Ordcom made a statement that the Daesh doesn't need territory to remain global in regional threat as it attempts to resurge. And... um, 
the United Kingdom's Major General Christopher Gika uh, said that in on June 18th when um, they were trying to uh, infiltrate the area and try to eradicate them. But people need to understand that that northeastern area is Turkish controlled. It is um, a hold by the Turkish FLN, which is a terrorist group, uh, very far um I would say a very, a very big socialist group. And um, it's pretty incredible to watch. In addition, you know, aside from the fact that Turkey is going to be talking about, um, I just wanted to say, isn't that cool, right? So Turkey is going to be bringing up Khashoggi, right? They did actually at some point already during the dinner, but they're going to be talking about Khashoggi. And that's hilarious thinking that, you know, President Trump was trolling President Erdogan won by swatting him and turning his back on him literally and shaking hands with Saudi Arabia. That's a big deal. So um, the Turkish uh, government is proposing to create a bigger security zone. Remember how I told you how they're constantly eating into Syria, right? Um, to to supposedly um, in under the guise of refugees and help that. Now in that area uh, that they wish to push, uh, they've actually banned Syrian fighters that are fighting against the terrorist groups. And there are millions of Syrian refugees now living on Turkish soil that the Turkish people want to remove and put into refugee camps. Now, Ankara claims that it's going to isolate Syrian Kurds from the uh, Kurdish, you know, held providences in, in the security zone. But what they're really upset about is, is that the United States, well, President Trump, you know, when he got in there to clear out ISIS said, you know, we should, um, you should leave the Kurds alone, stop killing them. They're not terrorists. And, you know, we'll figure out what we do. And Erdogan allowed them to supposedly fight, um, you know, on that behalf with the promise that, you know, the Kurds will leave Turkey and they haven't. And I've expressed this to you again. Turkey can't stand Kurds. And now that Iran has already started the rhetoric of being inclusive of Kurds, Iraq has no other choice, obviously, because we're in control there now anyway. Um, you know, Syria, Assad and the Russians are actually compromising, um, you know, having no problem to provide uh, a bit of land of Syria to be redrawn as part of Kurdistan. Turkey is having a huge issue with that. They do not want that at all. And so this is a high tension that a lot of people don't know about, don't discuss, uh, because this is this is a huge deal for the Turks. Okay, and um, the rest of the European Union, uh, you know, that is supporting Turkey at this point, but striking down with their actions is, um, you know, pretty incredible. Another thing I wanted to say that was super hilarious, right, was President Trump taking a jab at um, the socialist um, uh, prime minister of Spain, uh, you know, as um, Sades uh, goes close to President Trump in the rotunda where all these leaders were talking, um, he just literally is like ghosted over there. He's like, don't come near me. It was hilarious. Let me find, um, because he totally humiliated him. And this was tweeted out by RT and it was only retweeted, you know, 86 times. I would have re retweet it now um, because socialists don't deserve to be, uh, you know, entertained at all. Uh, you know, we don't like socialists. The USA does not like socialists.
so I've tweeted that out, like I said, um, and you can see it. Uh, let me play the video. I wonder if there's any audio. Let me take a look. There is no audio. Here's everyone going. And Spain is like over there by their seat. President Trump is, he's like, go sit in your chair. Don't talk to me. Oh my gosh, that was so humiliating. So as President Trump was passing by, the Spanish prime minister tried to say hi and he was like, your seat's over there. Just leave me alone. That was awesome. See, this is how leaders should be. They should be fair and transparent with their feelings. I don't like your stance. I don't like what you do. We can talk, but we're not friends. And, you know, with Germany, obviously, we don't have friendship. There is a lot of bad blood between us and many of the European nations, France, Germany, the United Kingdom. I mean, they all helped in this orchestration of the coup. But the issue that we have here is that we have deep-seated ties. So we have a lot of troops in Germany, so we can't just flip on them. So we have to negotiate. They're like that enemy that you don't want to be friends with, but you have to. It's kind of like maybe maybe you guys have a timeshare together or you know uh, share a fence together or something. You have some common interest. This is the type of friendship we have with those nations like France and Germany and the United Kingdom and other nations within the European Union. There are very few that are friends and... Uh, again, I stress this. While President Trump was entering the room, people were coming to him. You know, the president of China, when he entered, he went straight to President Trump, shook his hand, and then left. He didn't say hello to anyone else. He just shook his hand and left, period. That speaks volumes, you know, swatting hands, ignoring people. I see that the Australian prime minister is really getting cozy uh, with President Trump. Hopefully their conversations in regards to handing over what they have done in regards to this coup, this globally orchestrated coup by the fourth unelected branch of government within the United States is provided. And as I said before, Bolton and Pompeo go ahead and meet with these countries prior to the president even going. So deals have already been done. This is why when I speak about India and I'm telling you no deal is being done, India is really digging their heels in because Mahdi is the Obama of India. No Indians are seeing any prosperity under him as prime minister, none whatsoever. They're actually economically asphyxiated. So the average, you know, Indian worker, speaking with my sources in India, regular Indians, not, you know, those that own companies and call centers and manufacturing companies, but average Indians where, you know, they work, they're either doctors or store owners or just they, they work in a cubicle, whatever that put their kids through college, those people do not want Mahdi because they are being fleeced by the Indian, uh, you know, um, government. Fleeced, completely fleeced. Prices in regards to housing are rising. Uh, job uh, salaries are dropping. You know, education is not, uh, is competitive, but it's not accessible to many. Benefits that students from impoverished areas had, uh, you know, when attending these colleges and universities, such as housing or government assistance housing that they had just for students while attending college, you know, to benefit have been ceased. I mean, India is a really hot mess and they have a very large population. And, you know, a lot of people 
don't know this, but uh, you know, in India, if you own like a house, say, you know, just imagine yourself, your house, right? I have the sidewalk in front of my house, a walkway too, and a driveway. In India, you can actually rent that so people can sleep. Okay, that's how overpopulated some of the cities are. Uh, and, you know, coupled with the fact that they're getting um, higher costs in, you know, paying taxes and fees that the government requires, the housing market uh, being, uh, str- you know, under stress because there's not enough affordable housing and then salaries being dropped. So here you are working in India, you have your job as a paralegal, for example, and you get, I'm just saying now, hypothetically, $50,000 a year, and you've been working there for like 10 years and suddenly your salary goes down to 45 thousand because if you know you get fifty thousand then the company has to pay this much in regulations too for you the employee and then you know your tax bracket falls too so that should benefit you this is the reality of India and the fact that the United States kind of like you know the finance minister of Russia said is not abiding by these world trade organization agreements because they are a national security threat they are at the point that we allow other people to regulate what we produce what we sell and what we promote and how we source it because these world trade organization agreements don't just tell us what we can make like for example they could say okay america you can make one million cars okay because everybody else needs to make cars but then they tell the united states but if you're going to make them in the united states you need to buy steel from them aluminum from them plastic from them and tires from them so you can put your vehicle together and you're like but why i already have that stuff yeah so it's fair how is that fair no one's buying stuff from us except for the car Yeah, so, but we have to think of everyone else. See, that is how these agreements are set out. I'm just giving a rough example. And President Trump wants to be able for our nation to dictate their own economy. And I think that's right. Why can't we make American-made things? Why can't we source the thread and the needle from the United States when we're making garments? Why can't we source the, the rubber, the, the steel, the aluminum, the glass, everything from the United States when making a car? Why not? It's going to be better quality because we know what kind of quality it is. Michigan can pop over to Pennsylvania and check out the steel. You know what I mean? You want to make matchsticks? Go over to Oregon, start up the lumber mills. Guys, if you drive through Eastern Oregon, and I've done it a few times and it's so scenic, you will see abandoned lumber mills and people will be like, save the trees. Well, obviously they're not lumbering that much to get rid of the trees. You know, there's regulations. You're not that dumb where you're just going to, you know, chop down all your trees and not have any more the next year. For every tree they remove, they plant two. I mean, we have the resources and this is the hot talks that they're having now at the G20 summit because now that the United States had led with the, hey, I want to put my country first, so are others. That is what, you know, the Russian finance minister was saying. See, Russia was doing just fine with the agreements that were in place. So people saying that Russia wanted President Trump to be president, they're wrong. We're causing them harm financially. Having Hillary Clinton would have been better. Now, we're talking economically, right? Future-wise, at some point, all of them would have been taken down. No matter how big and bad you think, 
If the universal order was done and it was completed and South America, North America, Africa, and Europe have all bound together and become one global nation, which was the plan, right? And then taking over the Middle East so that way they can just expand. Asia would not be able to compete at all because they also have the hold of the Australian government. But anyway, so right now we're at a tipping point. Because I've said this many, many times before. The elections of 2016 were indeed the winning of the war. Um, Art of war, right, quote that I have on my Twitter banner is that victorious warriors win first and then go to war. While defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. This is exactly what we're seeing. We've already won and now we're fighting the war, right? We won. We're in control. We won. We dominated. Now we're fighting the war. While the other side is going to war because they didn't realize that they were going to lose. And now they're seeking to win and they can't. And that brings me into the debates. How are they going to win anything? Did you see the debates? And in the next hour, we're going to talk about the debates, but we're going to talk about something really, really important. You need to get ready and buckle up because this is going to tell you everything you need to know. Everything that we have seen that has happened over the past two and a half years from investigations to everything has to do about what? Justice. But here's the thing. In our administration, we have been updating canons. A canon is the ultimate rule of justice. So you better be ready because now everything is coming down to it. You see how Chief Justice Roberts came up in the parlay again. I've been talking about it. There's going to be so much focus on that. Because the canons were just updated on March 2019 again. And we're going to go through that right after we talk about what the Democrats were talking about, how they're losing, and what is really going on. Because (laughs) the bottom line is 2020 is ours to lose. And if we allow Google, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram to silence us, I don't really think that we're going to lose, but if, because if we can actually take hold of illegal immigration and ensure that it is a just vote and we don't have illegals voting again, this is a landslide win. This is a landslide win. So I believe that now the focus should be on how do we make sure that everyone who votes is just an American. I'll see you all in just a bit after this break.
Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper. I grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to their necks. Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So this is the second hour, and I wanted to delve into our domestic issues this time. So we're going backwards. Because domestic is something we should talk about now, because next week, the first two days, we're just going to be talking about foreign policy. Things are really heating up. But here, in the United States... Everything is on fire. Let's talk about this Democratic debate, all right, guys? So yesterday, I was watching it from start to finish. I just could not get enough. It seemed that, you know, uh, just like the previous one that I didn't watch because I was getting upset. I'm not a Democrat, okay? And I don't like any of the candidates, none of them, okay? None. They're all clowns. It's as if it's like the biggest circus you have ever seen, the biggest circus. Daily Wire put out a picture of them, a collage, and said, caption this. It's the Shady Bunch, okay? That's basically what it is. These people have no idea how to run a country. Uh, they're all throwing in talking points. Some of them are lying through their... T- Kamala Harris lied, lied, and lied. And she was doing it with a straight face. Yesterday, it seemed like MSNBC has decided... That the only people that they will entertain is Pete the butt plug, Kamala lying Harris, right? That's all. And Bernie the commie. Joe Biden was there simply so people can attack him. And he did pretty well holding off the attacks. I mean, he's corrupt as they come. But it was just incredible to watch them cannibalize themselves. You know, they were using race cards. They were using love. Uh, there was a author there, Williamson. Gee, she looked like she was recruiting for her love club. You know, she has her own cult or something. It was the most incredible thing to watch. I mean, even Hickenlooper, who looked as if he had no idea what he was talking about, uh, you know, did put a good effort, had more talk time than the only person there that had education and something new, something different, and a more moderate approach. I mean, his final statement was the only one that he really got out, which is, it's not about left and right, it's moving forward. And look, I've said it before, Andrew Yang's ideas are great for 2030, not for now, okay? It's way too soon to pull that trigger and kick us off into AI. You know, this whole subsidy of giving us $1,000 totally would make sense if you can actually create the groundwork and the foundation starting 2030, 2035, when things are going to be more automated and, you know, sometimes change, when you bring on change too rapidly, right, you you know, you kind of stumble and fall. And right now, even though we are growing rapidly on a technological perspective, right, technology is moving rapidly, we're also... um, 
We're also seeing that tech companies are holding back more. They're not giving as much. So when this explosion happens and we get propelled into the Jetson era, it, that is when Andrew Yang's ideas will have, you know, the soil to grow on. Not now. Andrew, you're just way too ahead of your time. Not now. But he is intelligent. You know, he has some great ideas that are for the future, not for now. And he was the only one that wasn't speaking. We had Gillibrand talking about kids, you know, and, and, and murdering babies and how your tax dollars should fund it. And it's like, girl, why are you even talking? Your dad did enough with Nixium, right, with children and stuff. So stop talking. She shouldn't even be there. Uh, you know, I just, I couldn't believe what I was watching. I was getting angry. Imagine if I was a Democrat, I'd be breaking my television. It's as if they picked their candidates and that's the only people they were asking. Uh, they were so biased. And that dude, Matto, talking about, of course, that dude, Matto, who resents the fact that he has a uterus, right, is asking questions about killing babies and how it's a right and how they're trying to make it look like it's a healthcare right. It is the most incredible thing. And, you know, Kamala Harris had, it seemed, look, all of them had no idea what the questions were. A lot of them, it seemed so discombobulated because there's no Donna Brazil to hand them over. But Kamala Harris probably had a little bit of a heads up because she had prepared lines. She was like, America doesn't want to witness a food fight. They want to know how we're going to put food on the table. Well, Kamala, if you're going to absorb, like you say, millions of illegal immigrants, how are you going to feed America? Look at the state of your state. People are crapping on the floor. They have no food. People are dumpster diving. And you want to make the rest of America like your state. No, thank you. You can keep that to yourself. She's talking about children. She tried to justify. She tried to justify a woman selling her child to a coyote to be trafficked across Mexico to get them to the border saying it would be a better ordeal for them just like it was reported where a 10 year old child was found with 20 different specimens of semen in them so that is better than staying in your country that has a drought in Honduras and you can't work on a corn farm are you getting this they're trying to make it okay that people risk their children this is horrific it is disgusting. And to watch them there saying these things were incredible. Bernie Sanders totally shot himself in the foot. He was allowed to speak every now and then when they needed a bit of a commie injection. And I'm kind of, you know, I watching all of them. I, out of all of them, only Andrew Yang stood out because he was like, I'm not getting involved in this circus, not my circus, not my monkeys. I'll talk when I'm told to talk. And when he was told to be concise, he was concise. And, you know, he threw out the sentence, well, I'm going to give people $1,000 a month so they can focus on climate change. His point came across funny. People laughed at him. But what he was trying to say is, if we can get people to uh, be able to get into these tech jobs, and this is why I get it. This is why I say I totally love his ideas 20 years from now, right? 15 years from now, actually, but not now. He made sense. I mean, if you knew what he was talking about, but there they go. They were laughing at him too. How is he going to survive from that? Who knows? But I can tell you he's the only credible one. And when he actually has time to talk, 
That's when things get different. And, you know, Matto and Todd and, Hess, you know, all of those clowns, okay, all of them putting out questions and pretending that they were non-biased when they fiddle with their own elections. This was just a representation. You know how they stole the election from Bernie Sanders because Hillary Clinton wasn't supposed to be the candidate, right? It was supposed to be Bernie. They stole that. Now we have the mainstream media maneuvering and telling America who to focus on and who not to focus on. Pete the butt plug, the one that just keeps panding down. Well, I'm gay. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. He was the weakest candidate, had the weakest arguments, and Kamala Harris, all she had was to throw shade and lie. She was like, when I was AG, I was telling him not to honor ICE detainers. That's BS. I did so much for the community as prosecutor. You locked up the majority of black California for like, you know, having a joint on them for years. Stop. She mm, slept her way to the top. She's, you know, she's got her nephew right now in a lot of trouble in Chicago. I mean, this was incredible. These guys have lost the election completely. There is no one, no one coming out of there could say, I feel confident that I can, that can be the president of the United States. Come on, guys. Our president walks into a room with leaders. People run up to him to shake his hand. And he's like, I don't know. I'll think about it. No more apologies. He's standing tall. He's giving you jobs. He's giving you tax cuts. How can any of those clowns up on those stages fill his shoes? None of them can. None of them whatsoever can fill his shoes. You know, Matto, you know, giving Pete the butt plug all the time he wants to talk. All of it. They had Senator Bennett. I felt really bad for him. He looked like that kid, you know, in Little League that's so cute with the glasses, the dork that really tries hard but just can't swing a bat, right? That was him. And it's like you couldn't, I felt sorry for him. Then we had the governor of Colorado who, mind you, made some great points, but then he tried to go fluffy. Another thing, the first question that they were asked is who here will give illegal migrants health care? And they all raised their hands and two of them just raised it because everybody else did. And then, uh, you know, they turned around and said, hey, Joe Biden, I didn't see you raise your hand. And he was one of the first ones because I rewinded it to see it. And I'm like, they did that on purpose. So this is how you can see where they're going. Joe Biden shouldn't have even run with all his kid malhandling and sniffing of hair and Goldwater days and racist comments and what he did eight years as vice president, he had no leg to stand on. Regardless, none of these candidates look like they'd be suitable to sit down and run the country, let alone go on to debate against President Trump. Never. Because here's the thing, President Trump has an army of digital soldiers that have everything and everything you would ever think to have on each and every one of these candidates. They have dossiers filled with it. You want to call it sourcing, counter, whatever. We're already there. What they don't realize is that we've been in these positions throughout the government, throughout states, throughout, you know, poking ourselves within tech companies, sitting there quietly and paying attention and working our way, you know, through your ranks and paying attention and collecting information, collecting information, collecting until it drops. Now, that said on the Democratic debates, they were a hot mess. They were chaotic. You could see how bad they were, it's going to be fun to watch. And maybe next time, 
MSNBC, who moderates, doesn't pick their own candidates first. They should give equal time to every single person, no matter how silly they sound, like Williamson, who, by the way, that chick, she totally looks like that woman that talks smack about all her friends and steals their husbands, and she's like the fourth wife. (laughs) She's on like her fourth husband and belongs in the cast of like Housewives of Orange County. She was just atrocious to watch. The way she spoke um, was just off, and she looks like she'd eat sleeps and poops out yoga namaste and is recruiting for a love cult that that, that, that's all on my commentary on the debates I did go through a tweet storm pointing out little things uh, that they were saying uh, yesterday while I was watching it was just hilarious now moving along to our domestic real issues so uh, Supreme Court Justice Roberts is coming into the mix again Now, I want to tell everyone something that I said months ago, something that I even wrote about. Justice Roberts has a very, very long-standing history with the Bushes and the Clintons. Now, I'm going to take you guys down a trip, memory lane, to Mina, 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 that A.G. Parr was part of, too, of course, right? Because he was the guy that was sipping, you know, cocktails with Noriega in Costa Rica, talking about the missing $100 million that they nailed on Barry Seal, who was a clown agency pilot. And he was pinned to have stolen this money, yet his family has nothing, and he was framed. But anyway, so this is where it goes back to, because this drug operation had headquarters where? It had headquarters in Arkansas, of course. There were headquarters in California where it's done. There were four locations. One of them was the home state of Chief Justice Roberts. And yes, you guessed it, his family all over it. Now, that is the main thing. That is what they have on them. Because everyone's like, what do they have on him? I'll tell you. He is one of them. He is one of them. And I've told you this before, and it's going to come out. And people are like, what? The Judicial Watch already has that information. They've already published emails discussing it without saying the names. They were all panicking right before the inauguration. What was it? President Barack Hussein Obama had attempted, had attempted right after the elections to ask the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court to annul the elections based on the fact that they had FISA warrants open and there was enough evidence to show that he was colluding with a foreign government, ergo, he was a traitor, this was treason, blah, 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 blah. But guess what? Chief Justice Roberts, obviously being a Supreme Court justice, uh, you know, judge, right? Uh, He decided, hey, dude, uh, you know, if people actually analyze this dossier, they're going to see that you paid for it. And there's a lot of rubbish in here. So I can't stand on it. You got to give me more. You got to give me more. So they did. They flew out. They went to England. They went to New Zealand. They went to Australia. They activated so many people. Remember, between October and January 10th, between October 2016, the end of it, when they finally got these FISA warrants, and um, January 10th, they were on fire. They went everywhere and tapped into everyone. Gina better be talking because she was their POC in London. There's pictures of her. We have pictures. We have pictures where you're chilling with the lovebirds, with Brennan. You're all freaking chilling. So we already have the pictures. So the bottom line is 
What happened after that? Here's what happened. President Barack Hussein Obama put out an uh, executive order in the middle of December. Then he did another one at the end of December, all targeting Russia, sanctions, you know, blah, 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 and went back to Chief Justice Roberts. Okay, can we annul that now? Nope, we can't annul. Well, can we at least stall with all of this together? And that was the discussion. That was the discussion those emails are discussing, you know, in panic of a head top meeting where Obama, Lynch, Brennan, Clapper, you name it, Comey, the whole nine yards, all of the clowns, all of the executive appointees and members of the foreign intelligence surveillance community, members that they knew they could tap in, sat down and they presented to the Supreme Court Chief Justice Roberts and made their case to at least delay the inauguration until an investigation is completed. I kid you not. This is exactly what happened. And if I know it, you better believe that the administration knows it. And this is where it comes down to. They tried to annul and then they tried to delay. This is why Barack Hussein Obama, you know, they started, the media started feeding, if you remember, at the beginning of January. Hey, what if he did a third term? What if President Trump doesn't swear in? What, 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 what? They were feeding the ground. So this is why they leaked the information on Flynn too, to amplify it and give enough momentum to sway the Supreme Court Chief Justice to go. But he said, no, because if I do this and it is revealed, we're in trouble. Just do this instead. And this is where plan C, annulment didn't work, delay didn't work, plan C kicked in, which is we're going to get a special counsel. And this is what they discussed. Shame on you, Chief Justice Roberts. Shame on you. And you know what? Bernie was talking about rotating uh, Supreme Court justices. Did you guys hear that? How, you know, the Democrats are now going to be changing the foundations of how our justice system works. You know, that's not the way it works. You can't, you can't do that and expect people to just sit back and allow you to do it. That's the deal. You can't do that. That is not the way it works. You know how they're rewriting, you know, what is to come. They're rewriting it. But what people need to understand that everything has been pre-staged everything. We have uh, sowed the soil. We have injected enough nitrogen so it can feed the seeds that we place. So, you know, we've preemptively set the stage. So when you pre-stage something, you've got it set. And this is what we've done. We've done this before he was sworn in. And we have been, you know, you know, toiling in that field of creating the right grounds that these seeds that we've now planted will sprout. So we've got, we, we pre-stage everything in regards to elections, in regards to security, in regards to directives that we put out, but in turn also the capacity of our nation. Okay. This is how you do it. You put it down as such. So how do we fix things? How do we get things done? People need to take trips to, you know, um, back, you know, when the administration was first sworn in and what was going on and what was being said. You have to think about it. You know, we had the Wiener laptop. Now we have all these NYPD cops, you know, committing suicide. Everyone's being suicided just, and now it's an epidemic. And de Blasio is talking as if he cares when he's the one that doesn't really care about the police. Here's the thing. You have to pay attention to what was done when all of these happened. Leaking. 
Do you fire people or do you prosecute them? We've reorganized and reorganized within our federal agencies like nobody bi- nobody's business. And the central agency will be dismantled. It will no longer exist. We don't need a fourth unelected branch of government. We need to take that caliphate out. Because if you want to talk domestic terrorism, that's where it is. So you have to think, in October, right, uh, we had um, so much going on back in 2017, right, October, November, we had the Vegas shootings, we had so much going on, and what was crazy was, is that at that time, what did we see? We saw the Senate Republicans, still with clowns in there, pushing really hard to confirm federal judges, really hard. We had a lot of them actually pull out. You saw how many people resigned, how many people weren't running. But here's here's the thing. We weren't paying attention to uh, the judges, the canons, canons. Okay. Canons are the rules that judges follow. And we're going to analyze those in the next half hour and how they've evolved under President Trump and how they've been changing. Because canons depict our justice. And if you pre-stage everything, you fix it on all fronts. So this is one of the biggest things because judges set the tone to the justice in our nation. They set the tone to what should be done and what can be done. And we're talking judges everywhere. We're talking district, municipal, federal, Supreme Court, and FISA. So the, the thing that people need to understand is that the intelligence community does not, you know, incorporate the central agency that is calling itself the central intelligence agency, because what they have is, um, they have slush funds, right? And give worldwide access to our networks. This is how they created the coup. Remember that. And everything that they have done has been retroactively found. Like we've, um, how do you say it? That we reverse engineered their process. This is what we've been doing for two and a half years. Uh, because once you figure out, what did I say? It's not finding out who the spy is. It's finding out the method that they operate, the plot, once you find out the plot and you find out how they got from A to B, you're good. And we had B in some areas how to work it back to A. And this is where it comes out to. Censorship, censorship across all um, cyber platforms is for this reason and this reason only. So people cannot reverse engineer you know, the bad acting, the what reverse engineer their plot, their methods, their contacts. Now, here's the thing. How can we foresee, okay, or how can we point out, aside from the corrupt judicial system that we'll get into and how we're, and how this is going to play a key role now going forward, the corrupt three-letter agencies and the one that wants to call itself an intelligence uh, you know, community member, but it's really not. How do we know who we can listen to? And that is a key question that a lot of people reach out to me. Like, how do we trust someone? How do we, you know... Um, Uh, you know, follow someone's notion or analysis. Uh, No one can tell you and answer that question. You have to uh, look at it yourself. But I tell you, start 
with what the leaders are telling you. Listen to the leaders, not just yours, not just President Trump, not just his cabinet. Look at the other leaders of the world. They tell you a lot more than you think. Their actions, their stance, the way they look, the way they smirk, the way they shake hands. They tell you so much. That is all you have to do. You know, who can you trust? I mean, all you have to do is rely on you and expand the way you think, the way you see things. That's all you have to do. That is all you have to do. Think. What have we done? We have set the stage for our elections, for our security, and for the direction that our country is taking, but also for what? The capacity. Reducing our nation's capacity. Think about it. We are at capacity. The president had said this. We are at capacity. So how do we set set the stage to reduce the capacity? Obviously, mass deportations, uh, setting better regulations, because obviously we are a nation of immigrants and we need immigrants, but we have to do it just the way the other people do. You know, I had my youngest saying, uh, you know, when I grow up, I want to I, I want to go to China and live for a bit and maybe go to school there. And I was like, yeah, you have to apply for a visa and do all these things. I think when you go on vacation and you have a return ticket, no biggie kind of depends on where you're at. And if you've been there before, she was like, oh, well, why do I need a visa? Uh, you know, what do you mean? I say you apply and they tell you if you're allowed to enter the country or not. And she's like, but I thought you could just travel for vacation anywhere sometimes, but not really. It depends if countries have agreements. So think about it. Why is every other country allowing people, uh, forcing people to, you know, file for visas, even if they're just going there to sit my ties on the beach? When our nation allows them in and then they overstay and instead of, you know, punishing them for that, what do we do? We reward them with free housing, free healthcare, free food and tax returns, even though they don't pay any. That's a problem. And that stems from our judicial system. And this is why canons are important. So if we set the stage on security, set the stage on, uh, you know, our nation's um, elections, security, um, and direction that we want to go in, then in turn, we can deal with the capacity problem that we have. I'll see you all in just a bit as we continue this. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr. and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978. 855-700-2978. 
855-700-2978. That's 855-700-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable My Pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Sess Show. I'm your host, Tori. So what I wanted to do is um, play a clip from CNN where, um, you know, it talks about Supreme Court Justice Roberts. But before I do that, I want to just play for you a commentary because now we're going to get into canons and discuss these and how uh, the Supreme Court uh, operates just Take a listen to what the Supreme Court rebuking what the president put in regards to asking for the census 220 to have the question if you are actually a uh, U.S. citizen or not. Listen to this. It's pretty incredible. Supreme Court ruled on the census question, sort of. So before them was the decision whether they would allow Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary, to add a citizenship, citizenship question to the U.S. census. And here is the result. The U.S. Supreme Court blocks Trump's census citizenship question for now, is how the headlines read. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court handed presidential, President Donald Trump a uh, significant defeat on Thursday, ruling that his administration did not give an adequate explanation for its plan to include a contentious citizenship question. So basically they said, you want to add a citizenship question? They gave a reason, mm-hmm. being like, I want to make it so minorities are protected is literally it was there. a blatant lie. Yeah. <laughs> Insane. And Correct. so even Justice Roberts is like, that's not enough. So they send it back down. Yeah. Um, so more specifically, um, the explanation that they gave from the uh, Chief Justice Roberts said the court cannot ignore the disconnect between the decision made and the explanation given. Neither respondents nor my colleagues have been able to identify any relevant judicially manageable limits on the secretary's decision to put a core demographic question back on the census. 
Okay, so a core demographic question on the census. This is important. Why do I say this? Because why wouldn't households tell you if they are citizens or not? What do they fear? Deportation, of course. And this is the argument they have. Though I've went through this before on how important it is uh, a couple months ago because the Office of Management and Budget actually assigns budgets to states millions of dollars based on their demographics. So if you have a large Somali population like Ilhan Omar's district, which, by the way, voted that in their district they're no longer going to be saying the Pledge of Allegiance because that causes turmoil, of course, because they want it to be like Somalia. So they flee Somalia to create Somalia here. But anyway, I digress. The bottom line is, We need to know just how many people are actually American citizens. And a lot of people may say, well, we can pull records from, uh, you know, the welfare administration. Yes, but those do not indicate, not all of them get welfare. Some just exist like the cartels. They don't need welfare. They got tons of money. They got hoes and bros doing work for them, right? The drugs and the sex trafficking, that's what they got. That's not on the books. It's not like, you know, they have payroll to pay, you know, uh, Jimmy Two Fingers to take this chick from this state to that state, pimp her out, and then dispose of her. He doesn't get a paycheck for it that goes through ADP and doesn't pay taxes for it. That's who we need to find. And that is how we can regulate. Now, I am a person that believes 100%. And I say this with, you know, as much rigor that I can. I believe that we have the right to privacy. I believe that we have the right to liberty. And I believe that we have the right to secure our own person. Now, those three things are being trampled on by every single administration, including this one, for the sake of security. Okay, I'm, I'm being dead straight with this. I do not like forfeiting more rights for the sake of security. Now, I don't have a problem telling my government who I am. No one should. I am this person. Here I am. I am a citizen. I'm not a citizen, whatever that may be. I should be able to say it because then that facilitates my local community with the uh, needed money to be able to sustain the diverse, you know, persons that are there. I'm just saying this is, you know, you should say, is anyone in your household blind or handicapped? You tick those off. Those are there. We need that because then how do we know that we need ramps for handicapped people? If there's only one handicapped person in a city of 250,000, they might not put ramps just for that one person, but instead, you know, fund for them to have like... I don't know, a special wheelchair that climbs over objects. You know, this is how it works. So the census is important. But listen to CNN's commentary on how he could be the new swing vote. Take a listen to what they had to say and how excited they were about this. John Roberts has put himself in the center of two politically charged Supreme Court cases tonight. He sided with the uh, four conservative justices to allow partisan gerrymandering to continue. But he also sided with the four liberals on the, uh, uh, on the court to at least temporarily block the Trump administration's citizenship question on the 2020 census. CNN's chief political analyst, Gloria Borger, has a closer look at the chief justice. In this class photo of the men and women in black, one justice sits smiling front and center, although ideologically, he's actually on the right. Chief Justice John Roberts, Thrust into the top role 14 years ago, the youngest chief in more than 200 years, now leading a divided court as a divided nation watches. 
No collusion. With a norm-busting Republican president and an aggressive Democratic House colliding. It's like two glaciers crushing together, and anybody that's caught between those two glaciers or icebergs can be crushed. I mean, there's high stakes uh, and lots of tension. And where does that leave John Roberts? Well, right smack in the middle of things. On the docket, old questions, once considered settled, about the issue of abortion. And new questions about the president's power and Congress's authority. All right, so let's leave it there. So first of all, the, um, uh, the person that spoke talking about the glaciers is a former U.S. Solicitor General. Um, what was his name? Tom something, uh, which means absolutely nothing. Uh, he suggested that su- the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, uh, J- Justice Roberts, is stuck in between political turmoil. That is not true. We must define what the job of a judge in general is, specifically that of the Supreme Court. And their one and only job is not to defend a party, not to defend a person, but to defend the U.S. Constitution. Now, his response, his response to the question of the census was warranted, but very politically charged. And that is what bothers me. He was warranted. He had every right to say it. Every right. He's right. They should be forward and say, this is what we're looking to mitigate. But the thing is, you don't want to show your hands to rabid, foaming at the mouth Democrats that will use that rhetoric. And that is a problem. And he knew that is a problem. And instead of understanding and reading in between the lines of what exactly is being said, okay, he decided to take that route. That is a problem. Now, before we get into the canons specifically, one by one, the changes that were just made a couple months ago, I want us all to revisit what an indictment means, okay? So an indictment is when someone is formally accused or someone's or a group of someone's of one or more crimes. That's the federal criminal system, right? It's it, The federal government does that um, and they indict you and they said, you are formally being accused of these alleged crimes. And this is how they start criminal proceedings. This is how they start investigations, right? So as we've seen, there are a number of sealed indictments nationwide sealed indictments nationwide, many of them not uncovered, many of them that are, um, you know, undergoing the question if there should be indictment, don't even know that there's a sealed indictment against them. But here's the thing. One might think, how are they, you know, secured? How are they safe from the eyes of those that are in trouble? How do we ensure that there's no leaks? Because if there's a federal criminal sealed indictment, against people of the FBI, against people of the central agency, against judges, against attorney generals, against U.S. solicitor generals, against U.S. attorneys, against marshals. How do they not find out? Like, for example, if there's a sealed indictment against the attorney general of a state, will that sealed indictment be filed within their state? Absolutely not, because they have access to it. Will it be filed in another state? Possibly. But will it be in a state where they have relations? Most definitely not. So then how 
do we know that these people are going down? Because there's civil, mm, I wouldn't say, I'll say civilian accessible indictments and non-civilian. You know what's funny is that when you're going to file an indictment against someone like a FBI official, clown agency, you know, former intelligence, an executive appointee, you know, a solicitor general, U.S. attorney, marshal, attorney general, whatever it is. It's usually stemming from a average civilian. So an average civilian will be implicated. The bottom of the pyramid will be implicated in order to initiate and then tag them along. That's usually how it goes. Okay, just saying. So grand juries, you have to source them, you have to find them. And how do you find grand juries that'll keep their mouth shut? How do you canvas them to not be hard right or hard left by not telling them who they are, by just giving them information? That is how you work with grand juries. So this is how justice is blind. So in order for us as a nation in the United States, find that we have fair and equal justice applied under the law for all members of our nation, for all rightful citizens of our nation. Let's not talk about the illegal migrants, okay? We're talking people of the United States that have committed crimes against the people of the United States and or other people in general. How do you do that? How do you indict, criminally indict people that work for agencies that have been entrusted to protect you and protect the rule of law? How do you indict judges? How do you indict solicitor generals? How do you indict attorney general? How do you do that? Hmm. So that is a really key question. Now, a lot of people have said, this is how it's being done. This is how we're going to do it. This is how it's going to be executed. But people need to remember the declaration of national emergency on January 1st, 2019, where article 33 of the UCMJ was amended in it, in it. It took into account appropriate consideration of military requirements. The principle contained in the official guidance of the attorney general to attorneys of the federal government in respect to the way they address federal criminal cases cases in accordance with principle of fair and even administration of justice of federal criminal law. So this is how you put down to remove White House personnel, House personnel, Senate personnel, chairs, CEOs, VIPs, VPs of everything, military, FBI, DOJ, clown agencies, and state, state personnel. How do you remove them? We have over 45,000 sealed indictments. 45,000. And here's the thing, if people do a little bit of homework, you'll see that the military website, military.com, over a year ago in March, put out an article talking about how Guantanamo Bay is being rebuilt, how we had floating barges because this is all coming down and they are going to come down hard. And the thing is, a lot of these clowns that have been enjoying, that have been warned, maybe by journalists, maybe by citizens, you are going down. Maybe they were confronted, Comey, you're going to jail. You know, sit there and say, well, no one's done anything to me. I would have found out if there's a sealed indictment. No, you wouldn't. But we do. That's the thing we do because people are not paying attention. You know, 
everyone's like Huber, Huber, Huber. When we all knew that there were more, right? Huber, did he do this? Huber, that. Everyone's banking on Horowitz. Horowitz is under watch too, guys. Look who appointed him and where he's at. See, Horowitz now is delaying. Why? Because he's realized that there are eyes and ears everywhere and we just let it be. Okay, do your thing. We're good. Have you guys noticed that there was a mass, mass, mass firing from the State Department? Officials in the State Department that worked on visa applications just in the past four weeks. No, not a peep from the mainstream media how people are being removed how people senior in the FBI, senior in the DOJ have been removed as Barr is digging into this. And Barr, again, I tell you, maybe like the Godfather looking for redemption and writing that $100 million check to the Vatican, he will not be forgiven by God, but he will darn try it. So we got a couple Corleones sitting there and our Trojan horse, which is coming in, and that is Mueller. Trojan horse. And I'm not saying he's a white hat, but just like Corleone, you know, you can repent. In the United States of America, all migrants came here for a second chance, repenting for the lives they had somewhere else, repenting for the sins of their fathers and mothers, unlike Gillibrand, who, you know, keeps pandering to kill babies, uh, you know, with your tax dollar because your dad didn't do enough with child porn snuff films. I'm just saying. Why haven't they been locked up? Because at some point, they're going to meet with someone. At some point, they're going to talk with someone. At some point, you will get more information than you need from them on their own. You have to think. Remember how everyone was getting fired and they were running crowdfunding to raise money? How half a million dollars was handed over to McCabe and all this? Every single donation is accounted for. The sky is literally falling on them. It is falling hard. And what they don't understand is that we have created this show. We set the stage. And this is the greatest show on earth. You know, there are a bit of a few hiccups because a lot of people that were placed, a lot of people that were uh, moving forward and part of this machine of justice, this uh, reclaiming of our nation have been harmed many unsung heroes some of them suffering as we speak some of them that have no longer a heartbeat to suffer let's just put it that way it's pretty nefarious and people are like "Mm, I don't know Hmm. what you need to know is that when he kicked off his campaign he said we're draining the swamp and it's happening and people are so upset I don't see indictments I don't see this I don't see that look at their reactions look at the where the way they're responding you know when they heard about Huber they started freaking out but then we've got so many other U.S. attorneys across the nation some that are not even in the lower 48 working on these things some that are in states that are not in the lower 48 that are being targeted because that is you remember when they wanted to execute this coup what did they do they came out of the eyes of those regulated areas and took it to five eyes and nine eyes to execute right why because you don't see much now tell me does that also apply for the lower 48 because we've got Hawaii and Alaska kind of wild cards, right? Who monitors, you know, one would say distance in the age of information isn't much, but huh? A lot can happen in cold areas and in island areas. Tons can happen.
We see that they're tweeting more and more. Why? Because the code of conduct for United States judges has been changed. On March 12th, it was changed and implemented. And there are five canons that a judge should uphold the integrity and independence of the judiciary. A judge should avoid impropriety and the appearance of impropriety in all activities like don't DUI, don't do meth, stuff like that. A judge should perform the duties of the office fairly, impartially, and diligently. Like, you know, if a judge is sitting there and he makes comments like, oh my gosh, is that treason? You know, or, uh, you know, or, oh my gosh, save that for the press. You know, that doesn't sound like it's impartial now, does it? A judge may engage in extrajudicial activities that are consistent with the obligations of the judicial office, and a judge should refrain from political activity. Oh, dear. So a judge should refrain from political activity. Do you remember how the federal judge attacked President Trump uh, saying that he is adapting the same rhetoric and tactics as the KKK? Do you remember that? Where federal judge Carlton Reeves gave that scathing speech at the University of Virginia saying that the conduct of the KKK and segregationists from the Jim Crow period are similar to that of our president, the president of the United States. Do you remember that? Hmm. Just happened, didn't it? So he's a U.S. District Court judge of the Southern District of Mississippi. Reeves was appointed, obviously, by Obama in 2010. And he was getting the Thomas Jefferson Foundation Medal in Law at the University of Virginia. And he had a 16-page speech, guys. And I quote, When politicians attack courts as dangerous, political, and guilty of egregious overreach, you can hear the Klan's lawyers assailing officers of the court across the South. When leaders chastise people for merely using the courts, you can hear the Citizens Council hammering the names of black petitioners in Yazoo City. Wow. This is incredible that he would do something as such right? Incredible, isn't it? So incredible. So in March 19th, and it was updated and there was a revision to uh, the, the canon, the second canon, part A, canon three in its entirety, part A, uh, subsection three, part B of canon three, subsection four, uh, canon, uh, the third canon again, B, subsection four, commentary, and then canon B, subsection six, and then uh, canon three, uh, section B, uh, commentary of six. And I will go through that for you so you understand understand um, what it is. So the third canon is that a judge should perform the duties of the office fairly, impartially, and diligently, right? So like I said, the changes were done on canon um, uh, three. So we're going to part A, subsection three, which pretty much tells us that a judge should be patient, dignified, respectful, and courteous to litigant, jurors, witnesses, lawyers, and others with whom the judge deals in an official capacity. A judge should require similar conduct by those subjects to the judge's control, including lawyers to the extent consistent with their role in adversary process. I'm going to say that I myself have been victim to a violation of this by a judge, you know, and hopefully, you know, complaints that are being sent by citizens when there are violations like this, when they're politically charged can be addressed. Because I'll tell you what, within the Trump administration, you better believe it that they're being addressed because this is the foundation of our nation. Justice is the foundation of our nation. And when we have 
judges distorting that, it's a problem. The fourth part, the fourth subsection of B um, that was changed is uh, super important. Well, th- uh, it 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 pretty much says in subsection B, uh, B subsection four, a judge should practice civility by, um, well, we already said that a judge should take appropriate action upon receipt of reliable information, indicating the likelihood that a judge's conduct contravened this code, that a judicial employee's conduct contravened the code of conduct for judicial employees, or that the lawyer violated applicable rules of professional conduct. So, What this pretty much says is, one, a judge cannot harass people. A judge cannot show any favoritism. A judge should always be impartial, and he should not play politics. And when you have state versus someone someone versus state, federal versus someone, someone versus federal, you as a judge are not allowed to mock or to allow abuse from the other side, et cetera, et cetera, because then you are compliant. These canons were implemented on March 12th of 2019, and they will be upheld because we have FISA court judges that are in question and not so much them and the federal judges, let's revisit Flynn and the comment the judge made, treason, you know, uh, 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 you're in a lot of trouble, buddy, lots of trouble. So this is where people need to see how things are evolving and where the problem is. So in order for us to drain the swamp, what we have to do is ensure that we have the ability, we have the ability to motivate the change, okay? Motivate it. They have to respect the law. They have to be impartial to influence and they have to have non-discriminatory membership. And you know what the problem is? Is that these judges, your district ones and your local ones, go through elections and that brings in corruptions. That needs to be changed. And from what I hear, it is. So if there's any appearance of impropriety, these new canons are being implemented, even the slightest impropriety like comments like save that for the press yeah don't bring it into my courtroom that is inappropriate that is not a comment that a judge should say so on that note I want you guys to pay attention to this weekend's news we're having the huge meeting with Turkey tomorrow um, and it's going to be pretty big we're going to see a lot of movement and I just wanted to say a new envoy was sent out uh, to the Eastern Med and uh, right now heading over to the Middle East it will be pretty exciting the developments are great and remember in just a few days Europe has to answer to Iran and like the president said I'm not in any rush Iran could take their time there's no time limit when they're ready we're ready but here's the thing Iran set a time limit of July 7 to the European Union so let's see who's rushing now from all of us here at Red State I want to wish you a great weekend and God bless I'll see you all Monday 12 to 2 Eastern Time only on Red State Talk Radio have a great evening Down in Tennessee, a long way from the suits in DC. 
but close enough now to see this mess. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper. They grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper, just to bury my kids right up to there. 